You're listening to Radio Rounds on WWSU 106.9 FM, Dayton's Right Choice. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everybody. I'm John Corker. And I'm Casey McCleskey. And I'm Shami Das. And we're so glad that all of you could join us today, as we have a very exciting episode planned for you. As many of you may already know, Radio Rounds is a weekly talk show produced entirely by medical students at the Wright State University Boonshoff School of Medicine in Dayton, Ohio. Each week, we explore medicine and healthcare from different perspectives, and of course, we always strive to emphasize the humanistic aspects of medicine that draw so many of us to this profession. That's right. And on today's show, we're going to talk about osteopathic medicine and physicians with the DO degree. We'll hear from Dr. Stephen Shannon, who's president of the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine, and Dr. Walter Hartwig, department chair of anatomy at Turo University in San Francisco and author of Med School Rx, Getting In, Getting Through, and Getting On with Doctoring. Yes, Casey, we're really looking forward to talking to Dr. Shannon as well as Dr. Hartwig today. Uh, But for some of you who may be wondering about what exactly osteopathic medicine really is and maybe some of the differences between allopathic medicine, which are physicians who receive an MD degree, and osteopathic medicine, which are physicians who receive a DO degree, uh, stay tuned as we explore all of that and more over the next half an hour or so. But before we get into all of that, Casey, how are things going for you? I know we have uh, a little little quiz tomorrow. Have you prepared accordingly? I'm, I'm working on it. I'm glad we still have one day to go uh, for our pathology final. But uh, yeah, I'll be ready tomorrow. Yeah, for all of those who, uh, maybe some of our pre-med students out there, the, the first course of second year, at least for us here at Wright State, is widely considered the most difficult course of, of our first two years. It's, it's basically a, a comprehensive review of everything we learned last year, plus all of the pharmacology we need to know in terms of, of how to treat all these diseases. So it's, it's certainly an intensive five-week experience, but right after we leave the studio today, we'll head back to the library and hopefully uh, earn our stripes as future MDs. Uh, but the focus of this episode really is is DOs. Uh, before we move on, though, I want to make sure uh, that I appropriately welcome Casey to the studio. Many of you may have heard her on previous episodes just kind of contributing, but today she's co-hosting for the first time. It's really great to have you here, and we're looking forward to hearing more of you throughout the rest of Season 4. 
Oh, it's great to be here. I'm happy to step in when I can and add what I can when I can. Uh, scheduling doesn't always permit me to be here, but uh, if I can help out, I'm glad to do it. Well, we're glad to have you here. And just as a quick side note, I want to uh, make a quick shout out to my father today. He he prepares his preparations uh, for his first colon procedure tomorrow. And uh, for any of us in in the business or have maybe gone through those procedures, we know that the preparation process is less than fun. So quick shout out to my dad. Our thoughts and prayers are with you uh, and to all those who are going through procedures uh, this week. Uh, but now on to our featured topic of the day, osteopathic medicine. Uh, for those of you who are wondering what exactly oste- osteopathic medicine is, uh, first I'll just say that uh, as far as Western medical schools are concerned, of which the Wright State University Boonshoff School of Medicine is a part, they fall under the umbrella of allopathic medicine. Uh, graduates of allopathic medical schools receive an MD degree, whereas osteopathic medical schools, as we mentioned before, receive a DO degree. Uh, but these DO schools, these osteopathic schools, produce full practicing physicians in every specialty. Uh, the training is very similar, but the history and philosophy of the two types of medicine differ somewhat. And we'll hear more about this history and philosophy later. Uh, but a physician named Andrew Taylor Still founded osteopathic medicine in the 19th century. Uh, when he founded it, he emphasized a holistic approach to medicine and relying on the manipulation of joints and bones to diagnose and treat illnesses. Osteopathic principles teach the treatment of the musculoskeletal system. So we're talking the bones, the muscles, the joints, and how those aid in the body's own recuperative powers. And as time has gone on, Casey, the lines that truly distinguish osteopathic medicine and allopathic medicine have blurred to some degree. Uh, As many aspects of the holistic training model in osteopathic medicine is used now in allopathic medical schools, and less osteopathic physicians are practicing the traditional osteopathic manipulative medicine, if you will. Either way, we all have a lot to learn from one another uh, because at the end of the day, we're all working really hard towards the same goal, and that's taking care of patients. So to kick things off, we have a friend of an old friend of the show, Dr. Walter Hartwig, a professor at Toro University and Osteopathic Medical School located in San Francisco. Dr. Hartwig is also the assistant dean of clinical education at Toro. Casey, you mentioned earlier how doctors still founded osteopathic medicine. While having significant experience in the field of educating osteopaths, we asked Dr. Hartwig to tell us a little bit about how the discipline of osteopathic medicine was founded and the principles upon which it was based. Osteopathic schools developed out of a mid-19th century model in Missouri, founded by what was then considered an MD. Licensing practices have changed over the generations for what constitutes a medical doctor degree. But in the late 1860s, what constituted that uh, was the degree held by uh, Andrew Taylor Still in Missouri. Uh, His his children suffered and and died, uh, and he felt that the medical care that was available at the time and considered standard for the time uh, did not uh, offer any insight into what his children were suffering from. And he felt that aspects of their care were missing, uh, such as trying to help their bodies heal themselves. And so he founded a discipline of practicing medicine from an allopathic background that encouraged the use of techniques that would enable the body's nervous system and the body's musculoskeletal alignment to facilitate healing. Mm-hmm. And so this, is, this was the core of osteopathy. And at that time, you can imagine, some of the most effective techniques for uh, restoring uh, musculoskeletal alignment in the body were manual, using your hands to manipulate joints, to uh, 
transfer force through fascial planes. And so this was the core of osteopathy, and it remained the domain of a core group of mostly public osteopathic medical schools in the Midwest for 100 years. And Dr. Hartwick then discussed how an important traditional goal of osteopathic medicine has been to increase the number of practicing primary care physicians. Osteopathic schools saw an opportunity to translate their ethics for patient care, which were largely patient-based. You treat the patient as a whole, as an individual, and uh, diagnose, interpret, and treat the disease process coincident with that. This was a natural lead-in to training primary care physicians whose careers would be based on taking patients in a community, helping them, and if their conditions were required special care, then referring them up the chain, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Allopathic schools were not as willing to embrace expanding enrollments for the sake of training additional primary care physicians because their fit, their match, their negotiation for research-based medicine with federal funding and the ambitions, motivations, and inspirations of students who were applying to them did not align such that a given allopathic school could increase their enrollment by 30% and guarantee that 30% more primary care physicians would result from that. Mm -hmm. Osteopathy saw it the other way, and the expansion was on. As of the late 1970s, a second wave of core campuses were founded, and then 15 years after that, the core campuses began sprouting out branch campuses, which is why you see a venerated institution like the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine with a branch campus in semi-rural Georgia. Mm -hmm. How how are these programs related? They're related in the sense that osteopathy sees the need for regionally-based medical schools that specialize in graduating patient-based physicians or doctors who treat uh, a day's worth of patients as opposed to a day's worth of disease or a day's worth of procedures. And this has resulted in the double doubling of osteopathic enrollments since 1979. Mm -hmm. That is, the enrollment in 1979 has doubled, and that figure has doubled. And in the next 10 years, if all things go as they seem to, it will double again. Well, certainly an interesting history uh, behind osteopathic medicine indeed, but I think the the most uh, kind of important thing that Dr. Hartwig talked about for me was the fact that one of the main goals of osteopathic medicine and osteopathic medical schools is to increase the number of primary care physicians around the country. I think uh, there is no more appropriate and applicable issue, at least in today's world. Uh, I know in Ohio we have eight medical schools, uh, but only one of which is an osteopathic school, and us, like many other states around the country, have a significant uh, kind of lack of primary care physicians. So very interesting indeed. Anything that you picked up from that, Casey? You know, the thing that I found really interesting was how it kind of grew out of a personal experience, that uh, it was because of his child's illness that the osteopathic movement began. And so I think that, you know, plays into the family medicine aspect of it, definitely. And I could see, I think a lot of med students um, and pre-med students maybe are motivated by personal experiences that that they've had in the medical field. So I I think that's a, a a really interesting aspect of you know the growth of the philosophy. And ultimately, as we said before, our main goal as physicians in training, whether we're MDs or DOs, is to uh, better and more fully heal our patients. So you know this this branch of medicine is really helping us to do just that. Uh, we also had an opportunity, as we mentioned before, to talk with Dr. Stephen Shannon, uh, who has been the president of the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine since January 2006. 
Prior to assuming this position, he served as Vice President for Health Services and Dean of the College of Osteopathic Medicine at the University of New England. As President of the American Association of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine, Dr. Shannon serves as spokesperson excuse me, on behalf of the nation's 25 colleges of osteopathic medicine. Joining me on that conversation uh, with Dr. Shannon uh, were both Shami Das, who's here in the studio with us today, as well as our other regular co-hosts, Avash Kalra and Lakshman Swami. Uh, we followed up with Dr. Shannon about the expansion of osteopathic schools across the United States and what impact that might have on healthcare reform, as well as some of his comments on the future of osteopathic medicine in America. Here's Dr. Shannon. You know, osteopathic medical schools and, and medicine in general is, has, has developed over the years so that it's become a significant producer of physicians in the country. Uh, one in five medical students studying in the United States is going to a, an osteopathic medical school. And from that perspective, we are part of the source of physician supply needed for healthcare today, uh, and in the future. Also, we have had uh, traditionally a major role in the production of primary care physicians in family practice, general internal medicine, and pediatrics. And from that perspective, since primary care needs to be a fundamental aspect of our healthcare system and is a major part of what most people are talking about relative to uh, a new uh, reformed healthcare system, we would be playing a major role in that area as well. That all being said, I think many, many of us uh, who are in medicine in general and in our schools are looking at the, the type of um, changes that we all need to be making to be more efficient more, and more effective uh, with the resources we have as we enter uh, an era that includes both an aging population, a uh, chronic disease epidemic, and uh, frank workforce shortages in healthcare physicians, in, in primary care and other physicians, as well as in other healthcare areas. So we are looking at changes in uh, our educational systems to adopt to that, to think more about uh, team-based and interprofessional type of education and practice and use of information technology, systems-based quality measures, all the things that we need to do and it's being talked about as being a, a significant part of healthcare reform no matter uh, where the source of that reform occurs. I'm sorry to be so verbose, but uh, <laughs> you, you, you asked a, a question that I could go on for quite a while about. Sure, sure. Reform is a, is a complicated topic, and it's obvious that osteopathy is going to be a big part of, of the process one way or another. Uh, there was an article, an interesting article in the New York Times outlining uh, an increase in the number of medical schools in the United States to kind of address the, the issue that you mentioned of just not enough doctors in the country. Uh, I believe the number was about 23 new schools that were either, uh, either just have been opened or will be open in the near future. How many of those schools are going to be DO schools, and, and, and how do you see uh, kind of osteopathy um, working its way into that expansion uh, of, of medical education in the United States? We have grown by 10 campuses in the last decade. In 2000, we were 19 colleges, and today we're, we're actually 26 colleges and three branch campuses, so 29 colleges in 23 states around the country. 
We've grown uh, to over 17,000 students, and our class sizes are projected to increase uh, over the next 10 to 15 years, class sizes in, in new, new schools or new schools in development in states uh, like Indiana. Uh, as we speak, there was a Marion University in Indiana announced an effort to start a osteopathic uh, medical school in Indianapolis just just recently. So that effort will continue, and we work very closely with the the MD community, the MD schools, um, both as we look at workforce issues. Uh, we train together. Uh, we work uh, in uh, residency, not only residency training, but in, in practice uh, together. So we work very closely with those colleagues in trying to address these issues. If you look at the numbers, though, in terms of uh, numbers, the, the, or in terms of percentages, our growth has been uh, dramatic, uh, and we will have increased over 100%, more than doubling in a period of 15 years in terms of the number of graduates we'll be putting out. Nevertheless, even even with that and the growth of those MD schools you mentioned reported in the Times recently. Dr. Shannon, could you also talk about or explain to our students the paradigm of osteopathic medicine and how that might address the shortages in primary care? Well, osteopathic medicine has been around for about 120 years. It, it really grew up as a counterpart to what at that time was, uh, there were two other types of medicine, uh, allopathic or MD medicine, and then homeopathic medicine. And the reaction of osteopathic medicine in its roots had to do with wanting to uh, focus on wellness rather than disease prevention, and with a real skepticism at the, uh, about the types of medicine and, and real poisons to some extent that were being used back in the 19th century to treat things. Since that time, a lot of those roots continued to exist, that is having to do with prevention, wellness focus, and one other dimension that osteopathic medicine really grew up around was seeing the connection between uh, the structure of an individual's body and their function. And so manipulative medicine early on was a part of training and it continues to be a part of training to all of our osteopathic uh, medical students uh, as they go through their educational process. Now, for a number of reasons, our schools were located in areas that where primary care uh, is of greater importance, I guess, to the in the overall medical uh, care of the community. They tend to be in rural states, states in which there were few specialists, fewer academic medical centers, and as a result of that, and the result of the success of of DOs establishing practices in those areas. They became a real presence in some states. Oklahoma, for instance, has uh, one in four, or just about one in four of their uh, primary care, their family medicine physician are DOs. Depends on where you are. Therefore, the schools themselves have had a tradition of primary care, not only in their outcome, but in believing that, and I think with some justification, that no matter if you're going to become a radiologist or a neurosurgeon, um, a cardiologist, whatever, that a good basic primary care education in your medical school years will serve you well with a focus on uh, prevention, patient communication, uh, patient-centeredness, uh, those type of things. Now, many of these um, 
uh, aspects of care are certainly present throughout all of medical education these days. But uh, those, those core elements, I think, have uh, served this profession well and provide a nexus to build upon as we look at health care reform since so many of the, the things you talk about, whether it's prevention, whether it's um, uh, being uh, uh, centered around the patient rather than around the medical system, uh, whether it's uh, being holistic, those type of things have been a tradition within the profession all along. And we spoke in, a, uh, in an earlier interview with Dr. Walter Hartwig. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a professor at Turo University in California at, at the um, Osteopathic Medical School there. And Dr. Hartwig talked a lot about how, you know, some, some similar themes to what you're saying about how osteopathy is really, really grounded in the idea of wellness and prevention and how big of uh, a part that plays in primary care. And Dr. Hartwig, you know, mentioned that DOs are really going to strive to fill the, the need for primary care physicians. Do you, do you see that happening? And do you see any, any, any reasons why that would not? I mean, I know, for example, there's all kinds of issues with financial compensation and all of that. Are there, are there reasons why osteopath students would have more reason to go into primary care fields? Well, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a really good question, and it's a, it's a key question. I think osteopathic medical students have more of a predilection towards primary care because they tend to be selected. There's a certain, certain things you look at when you're doing admissions. Uh, first, let me. Most of the schools, the great majority of our, our schools of the, of the 26 colleges, have primary care in their mission statement, and so many of them are very specifically looking for students who have that as a life's goal. Uh, so that, in and of itself, uh, has a, a greater result along those lines. But that being said, there's nothing that I mean, you know. Uh, DOs uh, and MDs uh, exist in the same environment. Uh, when you have virtually no increase in reimbursement uh, for primary care physicians for a decade, and you have increases in the costs of everything from uh, running a practice, malpractice, medical education debts, the whole uh, slew of things, and you have the uh, problems that we've all experienced with the healthcare system and the real between um, the paperwork and the uh, problems with dealing with the multiple insurers and trying to take care of patients and the permissions and all the other hassles that primary care docs run into, it's driven more and more of our students to wonder whether that's the right path for them. And so, the, you know, the, they're challenged like everybody else, and and uh, as and there has been some decrease in the number of our graduates choosing to go into primary care relative to other specialties. Not that all those other specialties aren't needed as well, but I think that there's um, a concern because we know the primary care basis. That you know, if we're really going to address chronic disease and and aging, and at the same time quality and cost efficiency, prevention's got to be a, a key part of that. And that's going to really be at the primary care level to be most effective. And it ties directly into the roots of this profession. So those things need to to uh, come together. And, and I think uh, we're all hoping that the environment will change so that the, the environmental factors, the economic factors that are pushing uh, students away from primary care will enable them to, will not be in the way. Not everybody will ever 
always go in that direction. And we don't, you know, we, you know, it takes a certain type of passion and type of person to want to, to pursue, no matter what the specialty is. But we certainly would like to uh, enable folks to, to take that pathway because it's such a great need, and we think osteopathic medicine and medical education is a great background for that, that type of career. And given the very foundation that osteopathic medicine was built on was holistic care, as Lakshman mentioned before, is that something that's being, being taken into account at the new medical schools that are opening up? And is that something the admissions committees are encouraged to look for, students who are looking for, to fulfill that goal? We, you know, every year we do a survey of all of the deans to see what they're doing relative to their curriculum and growth in a variety of areas. And in our most recent survey, we, we got explicit about ask, asking about um, what was going on relative to primary care. And 70, 80% of them were reassessing a number of factors, whether it was admissions, curriculum, clinical rotations, and other issues, to look at, at how primary care is being uh, addressed in their curriculum, how they're admitting students, just to kind of reassess things relative to uh, what the school's supposed to be all about. And finally, to close, would you like to talk to our, our listeners and kind of explain to the public the role of what you foresee the future of osteopathic medicine in America? Well, I really think osteopathic uh, medicine, osteopathic physicians, um, come from the sort of uh, background and traditions that coupled in with the new, whether it's information technologies or knowledge about systems, practice, and quality, could really provide leadership towards growing a healthcare system with a primary care base and with a patient-centered uh, entirety, if you will, right up through other specialties in care. Uh, that could provide the leadership and the models that would be useful for all medicine and other health professions to be looking at. I believe that osteopathic medicine is producing the kind of doctors the country needs and that because of the background of the profession itself, that the answers that people are looking for, a lot of those can be found within osteopathic medicine. And, and as we collaborate with all the other health professions and, and our MD colleagues, that that will have an increasing role in moving the whole healthcare system in that direction if some of these environmental and government issues uh, can be overcome. Dr. Shannon, thank you for your time. We thank you for joining us on Radio Rounds, and we hope to talk to you in the future. Thank you. Good luck to you. So that was Dr. Shannon with his thoughts on both the expansion of osteopathic medicine in America, but also its importance to the practice of medicine in this country going forward. Uh, it's just so interesting to see how quickly this branch of medicine is expanding because it wasn't long ago that I was applying to medical school and there was really somewhat of, of a stigma uh, against osteopathic schools. I, I can honestly say that I didn't even think about applying to any DO schools uh, simply because I was advised not to by my pre-med advisor. But just in, in the couple of years since I applied, I think things have changed quite a bit, and I think that has a lot to do with the expansion of DO schools and the expanding number of physicians in the workforce who are DOs. Now, Shami, I understand that you did your post-bag work at a DO school. Uh, did you notice that there was any sort of stigma when you were applying to post-bag programs or when, when you're going through that program? Well, I, I definitely see that there might be some stigma, and it depends on all depends on who you ask, uh, whether that stigma exists. And a lot of that hinges on whether anyone's had any interaction with the DO before. So, for example, if you as an applicant have a DO as your primary care physician, or that we mentioned earlier, that you know, in many respects, there is no difference in what they treat and how they treat you in terms of the the type of specialty that they do. So, for example, if you had a DO that 
you you know was for all intents and purposes just like any other family doctor you had visited, then your perception of the DO profession would be a lot different than had you not interacted with DOs at all and only you know heard things from other people. So I think a lot of it hinges on your interaction with them. And so as more people become DOs and spread throughout the country, as Dr. Shannon had mentioned, you know, now they're across the United States, whereas before um, they tended to be in rural areas. You know, I think it it makes strides in terms of what people perceive it to be and how they interpret it. But for all intents and purposes, they practice exactly the same way as many MDs do. So there's not really a difference. I agree. And and as the general population is understanding more of you know, what osteopathic medicine is, that stigma is certainly uh, becoming less and less. And honestly, what I've seen, the biggest stigma I think that exists is probably from MD students who (laughs) Who don't know any better. Exactly. And still think that their degree might be a little bit more until they get out into the field and and see that their education is no different. Um, And some people, you know, once they find out the philosophy of what osteopathic medicine is, might actually prefer that kind of philosophy and, and, you know, thought process going into it. And many students I went to school with there with that actually went in to matriculate at uh, the Georgia campus of the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. um, For many reasons, you know, they got into MD schools as well, but they really ascribed to the philosophy of the, the holistic medicine. And I think that's something that in many DO schools or in many MD schools, sorry, is lacking. So, you know, things can be learned from both uh, both tracks of medicine. And my dermatologist is, is a DO. And I, I got to say, I, I just know that she's a doctor. She does a great job. Uh, as you mentioned before, she doesn't do anything differently than my dermatologist growing up. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, we hope to get to a point here real soon where it doesn't matter whether, whether you're an MD or a DO. People won't see that title at the end of you. You're just doctor so-and-so doing a great job for your patient. Um, but we mentioned earlier how, how uh, at least I and, and probably a lot of students in my class didn't think as much to apply to DO schools back in the day as we did to MD schools. Our last clip here with Dr. Hartwig discusses the difference between admissions between allopathic and osteopathic medical schools. For a student who's interested in osteopathy as well as allopathy, the route to acceptance is largely a function of becoming aware of the history of osteopathic medicine and how your interests in using the modality of manual care, treating patients with your hands, and your interest in a patient-based medical outcome align with the mission of that school. Mm-hmm. That's the, not the secret road, but that's the optimal road to resonating with an osteopathic medical school. Mm-hmm. Given, I'm sorry, given the bell curve distribution of student performance on an indexes like the MCAT and GPA, yeah. the enrollments being what they are, osteopathic medical schools tend to admit students who are two, three, or four total MCAT points below what a comparably missioned allopathic school might admit mm-hmm. because there is a, a, a lingering perception in the United States that osteopathic medicine is way different than allopathic medicine. It's not recognized. It's not, obviously, it's not as familiar to people. That's part of my job here Mm -hmm. is expanding awareness in Northern California of osteopathic medicine. So we we totally get that. We don't expect applicants to, we we don't disadvantage applicants who have no idea what osteopathic medicine is. But it is the case that many students who come across as the most likely to be profound patient-based doctors also are not profoundly proficient at high-stakes testing outcomes. So if we interview a student with a 40 on their MCAT and a student with a 28 on their MCAT, 
we find that a student with a 28 total MCAT who has the same vision that we do of patient-based medicine is the better choice for our mission than is the super high firepower, you know, 40 MCAT student who who has the the base uh, capacity to want and qualify for training in an extremely specialized procedural medicine. Our campuses cannot provide that kind of uh, stimulus for that student. We're all about the primary care disciplines. We're all about the patient-based practices. And I hope I'm not putting a value judgment out there. You need your primary care doctor to be just as fascinated with your case of toe fungus as with the case, the exotic disease that's on the schedule right after you. And that kind of physicianing, that kind of doctoring doesn't always align, and I say always, I'm not suggesting that it's every time, it does not always align with someone who graduated with a 4.0 and has an MCAT in the 98th percentile. That student might be seeking a different kind of interface with the patient as an outcome Mm -hmm. that's better supported at a top-tier allopathic institution in all of its infrastructure, such as Washington University or Penn or, or Yale or Johns Hopkins. So a big thanks to both Dr. Shannon and Dr. Hartwig for their insights today and and for any osteopathic medical students out there or DO physicians uh, who might be interested in contributing to this conversation. We we encourage you to check out our website and contact us, uh, either by contributing to our opinion page or calling in as we'd love to record uh, some live uh, conversation with you about your experiences, uh, again, not only in DO school but as a practicing DO physician. But for next week, we're going to have another exciting episode for you. We'll talk a little bit with third-year medical students about their experience of rotating through hospitals and clinics and working with patients on a daily basis, really, for the first time. Uh, Physicians and students from here at the Boonshoff School of Medicine uh, will be in studio to give you a glimpse into what it's like for third-year medical students and their suddenly increased responsibility. But in the meantime, feel free to uh, interact with us via our website at www.radiorounds.org and also through iTunes as our podcast, all of our past episodes are available as free downloads just by searching Radio Rounds through the iTunes store. You can also email us at contact at radiorounds.org, join our Facebook group, or follow us on Twitter at at Radio Rounds. Uh, all this information is also on our website. But now a quick word to thank uh, and credit all those who made today's show possible. The production of Radio Rounds is made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, which was created by the American Medical Association Insurance Agency. The program has very unique provisions, including a $200,000 student loan payoff provision, student and resident occupation definitions, global emergency travel service, and newly added this year, a stress and wellness program. About one in three medical students in the United States are covered by the AMA-sponsored MedPlus Advantage Disability Income Plan. For those of you that are covered by this plan and that are graduating, you have a small window of opportunity, 31 days to be exact, in which to continue this important coverage into residency. You can click the MedPlus Advantage link on our site, radiorounds.org, and go to the Graduating Medical Students section for more information. In addition, Radio Rounds is proudly sponsored by the Student Doctor Network, online at studentdoctor.net. You may know medicine, but do you know the business of medicine? Check out the latest SDN publication, What Every Doctor Should Know, But Was Never Taught in Med School, available through the SDN Bookstore at studentdoctor.net slash bookstore. And finally, another huge thanks to both Avash and Lakshman for all of their uh, great amount of work on today's episode, as well as always to our very talented executive producer, Shami Das. And a quick disclaimer, which I often have to give, the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of Wright State University Boonshoff School of Medicine. 
So again, be sure to join us next week, that's Sunday, September 19th at noon Eastern Time, for a special look at third-year clerkships. On behalf of the entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm John Corker. I'm Casey McCluskey. And I'm Shami Das. And one day, we'll, we'll be, be your, your doctors. doctors. Here come the Radio Rounds. Welcome to Radio Rounds.